Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon Collectibles. Did you know that Amazon sells collectibles, memorabilia, and fine art? They do. Amazon has over 2 million listings for collectibles and memorabilia for non-collectors, gifters, and serious collectors and hobbyists looking to build their collection and find unique slash rare collectibles. The store focuses on PSA and CGC grading, an authenticated selection of comic books, photos, prints, posters, and more across various franchise shows and movies. They really do have a lot of cool stuff. You get free shipping on select items. Uh, just go to Amazon.com Nerdist. And uh, you might want to check out, for example, uh, the first comic featuring Scott Lang as Ant-Man. That's on there. Uh, you just search for Ant-Man, Scott Lang, but go to Amazon.com Nerdist and then poke around and uh, see what you can find out. Basically, anytime you use Amazon, do it through Amazon.com slash Nerdist, and it helps out uh, all of uh, the podcasts you love. Thanks to Amazon, not just for sponsoring the show, but for allowing me to not have to leave my house to go shopping. Greetings, Adventure Kateers. It's me, Work Juice Player Hal Lublin. You may have heard rumors of the thrilling Adventure Hours doing a holiday show at the Theater at the Ace Hotel in L.A. on December 17th. Those rumors are true. And what you may not have heard is that that December 17th show is our final show before going on an indefinite hiatus. Yep, that December 17th show at the Ace will be the last new Beyond Belief, the last new Sparks Nevada, the last of everything for a very long time. Now look, we all love doing the show, but the cast and everyone else has got deservedly busy over the past couple years. And while Acker and Blacker have enjoyed stretching the boundaries of what a thrilling adventure hour can be since ending the monthly show in 2015, it's time for a good long break. So please, join us on December 17th at the Theater at the Ace Hotel for a farewell appearance. The Ace is a beautiful, big theater, and we want to fill it with enthusiastic adventure cateers, the fans who mean so much to us. You can find the link for tickets on all of our social media, that's at ThrillingADV on Twitter, on Facebook, and at workjuice.tumblr.com, or by searching the Ace Hotel calendar. And now, please enjoy this all-new episode. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner, Ben Acker, for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, uh, and follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Let's start. Patrick Ness is here. Or I'm here with Patrick Ness. Hello, hello. Thank you for, thanks for taking the time. I know, I pleasure. Um, I saw A Monster Calls. You did some good work there. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, um, I guess. Sure. Is it, no, that's, yeah, it's yeah. really impressive. It's a good movie, and I think, you know, it's it's a weird thing to say that the script comes through, 
Uh, but there are a lot of, you know, it's a movie that could have been buried in special effects or, you know, action or any of this stuff, but there's an honesty to the movie that I think comes through. Uh, I mean, I really hope so. I mean, I wrote the script uh, on spec before I, you know, I didn't have a studio or a director attached because I thought, I felt I knew if the book worked, I felt I knew why it might work and I knew certainly what was important to me in the book. And for example, I'd had some rules about the book. Nobody says, I love you, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, uh, the book is hopefully suffused with love, but I didn't want any cheap crutches. And I wanted it, because that felt false to what he was going through. And so for the film, I thought I will, you know, I had people who were interested in the book, which is great. It's always really great. Um, but even a few people, not most people, but a few people had started to suggest things that could be changed that I didn't care for, to soften it maybe. Um, people who think they understand kids but don't really is my, is my feeling. And so I thought, okay, you know what, I'll at least start the conversation. I'm not a filmmaker, but I can at least say this is what's important to me. And maybe, if I'm lucky, a filmmaker will respond. And, uh, and Biona did. And so it was, um, that's the premise on which we started, that we would try to keep it honest and would uh, not let the effects overwhelm. Um, you know, and just because the, what was important is that he's going somewhere and he's going somewhere important. And so it, it's, you know, it was kind of the, it's the most any writer can do is I had the script. I, you know, I was lucky enough to have a filmmaker who wanted to make it that I thought I could trust. Mm-hmm. And then you just roll the dice like you do with anything. Mm-hmm. It turned out really well. I'm really pleased. <laughs> Good. He was the right guy. So. Yeah. I'm curious to know, you know, you, you mentioned you knew what the core of the movie was. You had the things that you were holding on to from the book. What, what were those things? Uh, they were um, well when writing the book I knew that if I wasn't moved by what Connor was going through then there was no chance that a reader would be I think it's arrogant to expect a reader to experience something you don't like if you're not laughing it's not funny uh, that, that kind of thing um, and so I um, uh, that, uh, there was just a kind of I hate the, I hate the word brutal um, but it does feel brutal, and it mm-hmm. feels for for a kid going through that. It feels brutal. It feels like he's being punched, and you can obviously can't ever do that because a reader, I, I, a reader will give up. I'll give up if I think mm-hmm. a book is going too far, and I'll give up in a movie if I think it's going just pushing buttons for the sake of pushing buttons. But I really thought that it, this has to hurt, um, and if it if it doesn't, it's a lie, and it's it's not hurting for hurting's sake. It is going somewhere. I mean, the real important guideline that I kept telling myself is sad but not bleak because mm-hmm. I think it's quite hopeful I think a movie's even more hopeful yeah. um, but it was things like uh, no one says I love you even though there's lots of love everywhere mm-hmm. I didn't want to lean on that and there are no there's one comedy hug in the book there's a few more hugs in the movie but it's a movie <laughs> um, the nobody says the word cancer it was all mm-hmm. about taking away the easy movie of the week crutches mm-hmm. that I felt like the story could easily lapse into because I mean, we've all seen the story about you know about somebody dying of cancer but that's not really what this is about this is about being consumed by the fear of loss so badly that you it, it's destroying him and uh, so it was throwing away the convenient crutches that might be used that, that makes a lot of sense I'm, I'm curious I've been thinking a lot about the idea of adaptation and you know writing this film based on your own book. Did it not feel like you'd told the story already? 
How do you find something new? Well, that's the thing. I, I, the, I've been in that situation in other, with other material mm-hmm. where I thought, no, it's, it's time for somebody else to have a look at it. But this one, because the book has an unusual genesis and that I took the idea of an writer who had died and, and then took it on, moved it on, because it started with a writer who died and because mm-hmm. I took her material and sort of, as I say in the intro to the book, uh, it's like a relay race. I took the baton and ran with it. Um, and then handed it on to the illustrator, Jim Kay, who brought other stuff to it. It had a slightly different feel to it. I felt like I was custodian of the work of three people. And uh, in a story that was already uh, had contributions from different places. And so it, it, the creative challenge of turning into a movie felt um, just like a, another step. Let's bring mm-hmm. another person in to add something to it, to this oddly collaborative novel, which yeah. rarely, rarely happens. So. That's true. I mean, it, it, there's this amazing meta-story going on in this story that it's a collaborative beast from the beginning. Uh, and then, of course, it's a story about stories in many ways. Um, again, that's, that's a lot to boil down yeah. into a 90-minute movie. Yeah. So, so where do you begin? I mean, as you said, you've, you've taken a stab at adaptations before. I think you've written... Uh, other media for other outlets in the past, yeah, is yeah, that right? Yeah. And I've done other adaptations, but since Monster Calls mainly. Yeah. Um, well, the I, I in my head, I kind of I thought more in terms of remix because mm-hmm. um, I could understand that creative that made a, that made some sense to me. That made it that felt less. Um, I don't know, felt less, less like a free fall. Like, uh, you should, I feel like I should always be nervous. I should always be worried that I'm going to screw up. Because <laughs> um, it makes me pay attention. And complacency is just death. So I thought, I'm, you know, I'm going to take a chance on this. Um, and so I mainly, con- what I have done in this adaptation and others is I, you know, my first draft is, refers quite heavily to the novel. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it's the same way that I plot a novel, which is I make sure that the plot is working. Uh, and then you can kind of let it run, and then you can go back and put in everything you wanted because you know that the framework's there. So, uh, first drafts, I refer very heavily to the source material, and then I put the source material away for second and third and fourth drafts. And I'm, I mean these, I mean my own drafts, not the drafts mm-hmm. that I would turn in, right. because the movie has to exist in its own terms. And then as you go through it again, and then again, and then again, and then again, you start to sense the different shape that it needs. Mm-hmm. The movies are, there's just, you know, there's technical challenges. The movies are shorter. You have less space to tell it. What you get in return is the visuals, obviously. Um, so for me, it was getting, I knew that there were, there are definitely beats that were absolutely fundamental to the story for me. The very first idea I had from Shimon's material was Connor coming out of the second tale to find that he's destroyed the grandmother's sitting room. And that felt like the entire, everything I wanted. The anger and the, the transgression and the, the expressed rage. There's no going back from that. Um, and so things like that, I knew that they needed to hit in a particular way. And I knew, obviously, the tales. And the tales in the book arc in a particular way, and they need to do the same in the movie. He's told the first tale. He enters the second tale. He's the hero of the third tale, and he tells the fourth tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's things like that that I, I sort of feel by instinct when I'm doing a novel, I'm sorry, um, that... I knew were important in a script. And so you put them in the script, and then you realize that the script is far too long and really, really, you know, fusty and uh, far too much like a book. Sure. So then the next mini passes are just finding better ways to solve, to answer the same questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, learning where shorthand can work and, 
because there's so much fantastic, amazing, magical shorthand in a screenplay. <laughs> Um, and you know, really using it to best benefit, and uh, it's a great, it's a great creative challenge. I really believe that the only person who should tell a writer what to write is the writer themselves, mm-hmm. and that is, for me, that is true in terms of age group, in terms of genre, in terms of medium. You might be great at everything, but if you want to try it, you know, if you've written a book and you want to write a TV show. Or a TV show. I've never written one before. You know, it's turned out pretty well, I think. I hope. <laughs> so, I mean, just go for it. It's storytelling. It's storytelling. Sure. And I, but that it's also, that's an easy thing for writers to say, yeah. right? Is we know how to do this. The act is very much the same, mm-hmm. but the execution becomes very different. Yeah. Um, you know, where did you start to get opportunities outside of prose? For, um, a lot of them came from Monster Calls. I had um, I'd done some radio stuff, um, and I had, you know, I did the sort of first screenplay that everybody needs to do. It's like the first pancake. You know, it turns out bad, so you throw it away. And was it an original uh, it was, screenplay? It was terrible. I, we won't tell us all we won't, about it. We won't speak of it. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, it got it out of my, you know, sort of got it mm-hmm. out. I learned. And that's what I really want to do. I want to keep learning, and I want to keep... You know, exercising new muscles because again, complacency is I, just creative death for me. And and like I said, I like being uh, a little afraid. So I've taken on challenges like I did a I did a radio play, I did a radio monologue. I didn't. It wasn't. I wasn't my monologue, but I wrote a monologue. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, every every story is a technical challenge. Um, and I, you know, it, it's like. I hesitate to talk about it because it's it's like that thing you know only only really bad actors talk about the craft of acting. That's what this whole show is. And uh, <laughs> the craft of acting, <laughs> the craft of writing. Uh, but and, but it, you know it is there and there. But that can but um, uh, there is craftsmanship to engage with and to and so the challenge is obviously to engage with it creati- creatively and artistically and uh, that's true to your story. And I find I've always found. Um, a set of limitations, arbitrary or not, a real spur to creativity. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it's kind of it's a kind of rebellion. I was raised uh, in a very religious family, and uh, I was you know secretly dating boys on the side. And uh, so I thought, how can I follow the exact letter of the law here mm-hmm. and still get away with what I want? And to me, that's what screenplays are. That's what that's what anything is. It's mm-hmm. how can I follow your rules? Uh, on television, even in a novel, even a short story. Mm-hmm. How can I follow rules, which are sometimes challenges I give myself, like nobody says I love you in the book, so how do you make it full of love without that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do I do that and still get away with murder? Um, so so that's, that's the kind of challenge I that's take. Yeah. Did you do that from the early novels? Did yeah, you do that from yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, my, my, one of my big philosophical points about writing is that real writers don't write, they write anyway. And so I didn't think anybody was ever going to publish my first novel. I wrote it anyway. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I assumed no one would ever film my script of a monster calls. I wrote it anyway and did the mm-hmm. best job I possibly could. And it's gotten me tons of work, which was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> um, so yeah, write anyway. Absolutely, write anyway, and uh, and take a challenge. It may not work, but you know, it definitely won't work if you don't try it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think, let's let's yeah. go back to that beginning then. Okay. Uh, was was there a lot of fear in approaching your first novel? Well, I mean, yes and no. It's it depends on how sort of serious, how much you're, how much I, I think how much one rather, um, 
what outcome you are, mm-hmm. your, most of your self-esteem rests upon. <laughs> and so I, and because, because Jesus, I came from, I came from a tiny suburb outside of Seattle. Not, the, you know, not, I'm not from the cool Seattle. I'm from, you know, I'm from deep, deep, deep Southern mega church, uh-huh. suburban, um, Puyallup is what it's called. And, um, I'd assumed that nobody would ever publish a novel I wrote, which in a way is freeing, because mm-hmm. then I could just write whatever I wanted. But you're, you're compelled to write it, clearly. Uh, yep. Uh, those are the novels I like to read, by mm-hmm. people who seem like they have to write it, or, um, you know, th- it would cause them pain. Or, you know, and, and that, I mean, that's a terrible way to put it, but it, that's interesting to me. So I thought, well, you know, I don't necessarily believe in an afterlife, and if I don't write a novel now, it's not going to write itself. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I like cumulative work, so I just would do my thousand words, and then I'd rewrite those and add another thousand words. And uh, and my goal at the time, I just wanted to finish a book that was decent. And then uh, and then I happened to have, I moved to England, and um, my partner's English, and um, I finished it. I thought, oh, well, might as well see. <laughs> and so I sent you know I sent uh, query letters and synopses and sample chapters to every even remotely plausible agent. I got one. She got the book published. I mean, it is as difficult and as easy as that in a way. So uh, yeah, it is. It's it's about it's about writing anyway, and calling yourself a writer. And I would get up an hour before work and, and write. And, um, because you know those novels come from just normal folks. Yeah. You know they don't they don't it's, you don't get born into some family. Well, maybe some people do, but <laughs> most of us. We just write a book and make it as good as we possibly can. I I think that's an important thing for a lot of, especially new writers, to remember is they do come from regular people. They Mm. come from us. Mm. And there's really nothing special about us except we chose to do the thing that we wanted to do. 99% of deals come from people who have written an entire novel. That's also key. Write the whole thing, your first one. And they just sent it off, you know, to agents usually. Still still works usually. But the, the big deals you hear about are rare. And, you know, it might happen to you, but what's probably more likely is what happened to me. I got a, I got a pretty good deal that wasn't super mega blockbuster. You would not be impressed by the number of digits in my deal. Um, but I didn't care. I got, I got a book deal. Yeah. And, I, and more, I got a published book, and I could hold it in my hand, hold the hardcover in my hand. And, you know, it sold in its dozens to friends and family. But, you know... I wrote another, and then I wrote another, and uh, I kept taking chances when they would come up and taking opportunities. But really, I am just a guy who wrote a book. Um, I didn't have any contacts mm-hmm. in the industry. I didn't, you know, I just wrote a whole book, and somebody else liked it and offered it. <laughs> so. And and that's what it takes, right? There's that's what it takes. someone responding, uh-huh. the right person responding, certainly, but also you had the material to back up your desire. Yeah, yeah. So that's um, why I say write the whole book. I'm cur- yeah, I think that's great advice. I'm curious about, you know, it, it often feels like the first book is, or even the first screenplay, whatever it is, is the story that the writer is compelled to tell. Uh, this has to be in the world. <laughs> so what, what happens next? Well, I mean, um, my first book, for- fortunately, my first book wasn't even remotely autobiographical. It was set in a made-up city... Um, with a herd of rhinoceros that wandered the place. <laughs> this doesn't mean it's not autobiographical. <laughs> yeah, it's true, true. I mean, the bits and bits and bobs there. Um, you know, n- never one to one. But my second book was a collection of short stories. 
uh, and then I did get a little blocked, and I thought, oh, what do I, what do, I do? And, and it, was more, it wasn't blocked for lack of ideas, it was blocked um, for a slightly more pernicious reason, which is that this is what people must be expecting of me now. Mm-hmm. This sort of odd, slightly surreal, yet grounded a bit, and I thought, oh, is, is that what I'm meant to do? Mm-hmm. And I had a really unhappy period where I was trying to write books to fulfill that expectation. Yeah. And I discovered, you know, somebody just discovered the, really the hard way, that if I don't write it, because I'm burning to write it, no matter how weird or inappropriate or not inappropriate is a terrible word, but how, <laughs> how inappropriate to the current contract it is, sure. um, nobody's going to want it because I'm not in it. So after some struggle, I just said, screw it. And I had this thing I really wanted to write, and it was uh, turned out to be for teenagers. And I would say my job at the moment I discovered it was for teenagers is to go fantastic. Let's see where it goes. Did you resist that at all, nope. knowing it was for teenagers? Nope. Really? Yep. I just thought, great, let's go for it. Storytelling, they demand, they demand a cracking story, which is a really good challenge. Mm-hmm. And they demand a kind, of, um, a kind of emotional sincerity, but not in a, not in a dumb way, that, uh, which I think is the secret to the appeal that it has mm-hmm. for so many adults. And if you do those two things, which, I've, which I like, to doing, like doing anyway, um, the leeway they grant you, the willingness to follow you to far off weirdo places, the challenges they're willing to undergo, you can really just listen to your story and let it cook and go wherever it leads. And mm-hmm. I found that really fantastic. Not, not liberating, because I didn't feel oppressed. But uh, I thought, this is terrific good fun. And I feel I certainly never, ever once, still to this day, ever feel a step down. I never feel like I'm somehow mm-hmm. operating on 80%. It's the same... Well, it's the same, you know, I say physical work, it's not physical work, but it's the same, you know, it's the same words a day, it's the same emotional input, it's the same thematic, um, you know, dedication. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and what do you know, that's the book that hit. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was an act for never letting go. And so exciting. it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, it was my third book. It wasn't my first. So. Right. But again, Which I never I never expected to have hit. So, <laughs> so when it came, like, oh, great. <laughs> this is fun and new. Um, I want to ask about that words a day uh, and, and sort of get into the nuts and bolts of your process. What does a day look like for you when you're working on a novel? Uh, first draft, I'll usually do. I started at 500 and then I moved to 1,000. Now, just because you know I'm used to it, I, us- I usually do 1,500 words a day. That's so reasonable. It is. I have to say, like that's really a reasonable it's, number. You, know, it's, it's, you can still have a life. It's you know, it's not it's not no work, but mm-hmm. neither is it um, impossible. And you feel like I feel like I've done something. Then what I tend to do is I tend to the next day I tend to go back to the beginning of that rewrite, make me write in pen, and then I add fifteen hundred words to that. Oh, really? So that I'm constantly massaging the material until I get to a chapter or a part, and then I'll start over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that by the time I finished, I got a fairly well massaged, if massively expensive, first draft. I think, uh, from my, my feelings, I always would rather overwrite than underwrite in a first draft because I'm I really love rewriting and I love cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, and incidentally, let me just interrupt yeah. for a sec. Fifteen hundred words a day. How long does that take you during the day? Ooh, it depends on the day. Yeah, it depends on the day. Um, Usually not more than three or four hours. I usually have other things going on. Mm-hmm. But there's this, there just comes a point where I hasten to add that this nobody can tell you how to write. They can only tell you how they write, and that's mm-hmm. a big difference. Um, there are writers who write for 10-hour stretches, mm-hmm. and they write great books. So who am I to question their process? It's just what personally works for me. I feel like I'm running a little dry by the end of that. And so what I found is um, that I'll, I tend to then switch to another writing project mm-hmm. in the afternoon, say because it's a different muscle, a different kind of thing. 
Um, you know, or if I'm rewriting one thing, I can be first drafting another thing. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, and in June, five or six or seven months in, depending on how it goes, I've got enough of a mess of a of a novel there, and you go, oh, that's what I meant. Right. And then um, doesn't do you need a little distance after sort of finishing I go right up? back in. I go right back <laughs> in. And I, know, I know authors who definitely don't. I, and again, there's no right way to do this, but I'm, I, I remember I saw Stephen King. He, if you have finished a draft and then put it away for a year, mm-hmm. oh, that's really fascinating. That's interesting. Like, yeah, um, most of us can afford to do that. I don't think, but uh, but uh, uh, no, I go right back in. I, I always, I'm, when a project has begun, I always have it turning, turning, turning until it's finished. That's just mm-hmm. the way I like to work. So I'd go right back in. I usually, I'm usually the next day. You know, um, I, I'm excited to go back to the beginning because sure. I finally reached the end of the first draft and I can celebrate. For me, and again, I, I, I was very surprised to discover that this is not common. For me, um, first drafts are the hard work. Mm-hmm. They, I find them such hard work. And second, third drafts, I find delightful because <laughs> the work is done. And now, now all I've got to do is make it good, make it a book. And cutting things and, and making things sleeker and, and repositioning something to make it better and stronger and you know, nicer and prettier and kinder and mm-hmm. scarier. Um, well, that, that I really love because the hard work of the first draft is done. But I, I know many people who are the opposite who love the blank page uh, and then <laughs> just wish they were dead through most of their second drafts. So that's okay. There's no right way. If you, well, if you finish with a novel, you've done it right. So. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, I want to ask about uh, wrong roads uh, and you know that discovery process as you go through. Can you think of an example? And, and the only books uh, of yours I know, and I apologize, are Monster Calls and uh, The Rest of Us Just mm. Live Here, which I just adored both. Thank you very much. Um, can you recall discovering things along the way in those books or wrong, going down wrong roads and then correcting? Yeah, well, my, pro- my process in the first draft is um, uh, it's some of these are quirks, so don't mm. take this as gospel. But I always know the last line of the book, always, because I don't start until I have one, because it feels like I'm aiming to something. It's not the climax, it's just the last sentence. I call it the exit feeling, because that has to work, or you've screwed up the whole book, so no pressure. I've got a vague idea of what kind of story I want to accomplish, but more I usually have three or four things in the story that are very exciting to me that I want to write. And I don't write them, I always write A to Z. Again, my own thing, but if that feels like I've got things that I can write towards that I'm excited about, so with three or four things and with the last line, I feel like I have enough so I don't feel lost, mm-hmm. but I've given myself enough space to create along the way, mm-hmm. and that to me, for me, is the right combination. I don't, I don't outline beforehand, but nor do I usually start a book not knowing anything about it like some mm-hmm. authors do. The rest of us was a slight, I wanted to challenge myself because I worried that I didn't want to lean too heavily on my regular process, so I changed process a little, and I had, I had one scene in the middle of the book that felt so great. It was the scene where um, Jared heals, but is unable to heal the mountain lion, mm-hmm. and that's the scene where he confesses something to our main character, and that felt like such a strong scene. I thought, ooh, I don't know where this is going to go, uh, but that feels really strong, so let's begin. And um, yeah, so that, but that was more of an exploration than the other ones, but I was really, really enjoyed that. Oh, interesting. Um, 
and for my next book, because I, because I have so long talked about knowing the first and last lines, <laughs> what I've done instead is I took somebody else's first and last lines. I took the first and last lines of Mrs. Dalloway. And so I've, I've done a sort of a, a gay YA version of Mrs. Dalloway. <laughs> finally. To see, finally, at last, the world was crying out for it. Um, and I thought, that's a challenge. Here's, here's one of the greatest English language novels ever. Um, you know, I'm not, certainly not trying to equal it. I'm good grief. But to think, okay, here are, here are these limitations. You have to begin with this, end with this. Hmm. You have to, it has to take place over the course of a day, like Mrs. Dalloway. It has to end in a party, like Mrs. Dalloway. Oh, there has to be a, a separate story from our main hero, mm-hmm. like Mrs. Dalloway and uh, Septimus is the soldier's name. And I thought, all right, bring it. Let's see, let's see. You know, I was, you know it's a frightening thing. That's but, really neat. But I felt like, let's, uh, let's, let's take the leap and see what the hell happens. Let's not let's, I don't refer myself to the royal we. <laughs> I, you know, I will take the leap yeah. and let's see what happens. So. But it's so funny to me that, I don't know, these, we don't talk about it very much. I've talked to 500 writers on this thing. We don't talk about the games we have to play with ourselves yeah. to do the work. And it's work we want to do. Yeah. Why do you think we have to do that? Because it's hard work, and there's yeah. a million distractions. <laughs> uh, social media has not been of benefit to many writers. Um, it's just hard. The blank page is a hard place. It's a really, really hard place. Um, and anything to keep... And, I, again, and, and oh, God, the terror of... Com- again, complacency. I just used that word. I'm so scared of that. Hmm. And uh, of just writing something crappy. That terror is enormous. It's a great big yawning void, and there's nobody there to, to lead you along. It's all you. It's, this, it's a year-long act of faith. Mm-hmm. That's a long time <laughs> to believe you can do something without anybody encouraging you to do it. So I'm in lots of reasons. So anything that... Um, and again, I, but the game playing, I find them really fruitful. I find them mm-hmm. real spurs. Again, uh, I th- always think that spite and defiance are great writing tools. To say, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're going to go with vision. Oh yeah, well I'll show you. I'll show you two middle fingers, and I'll still write what I want. Um, so for me, that that feels, yeah. Why not? Anything that gets the words down. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and I think again, you know, we all write in different ways, but this stuff is helpful to people to know that people working. Yeah, do yeah, these yeah. things. Yeah, we, you know? cheat. we check Twitter just as often as you do. Yeah, <laughs> probably more. Yeah, yeah. Our, our days are free. Yeah. Um, a couple things, and we'll wrap up. Uh, let's talk about some of this Doctor Who stuff. Okay. I'm, you can talk about it, right? Yeah, it comes, sh- comes out a week from Saturday in the UK. Oh, terrific. It comes out the 22nd of October in the UK and in Canada. And it's called, this is the spinoff, it's, it's called, called Class. Class. Yeah, and it, comes, um, it, it premieres in BBC America in the spring with the new series of Doctor Who. So. That's so exciting. Yeah. Uh, how did you get involved with this? And tell me about playing with these toys? Well, they, um, like I said, a monster calls that got me a lot of work, um, which was a lovely surprise. And it was very, very enjoyable. Learned so much stuff. And they approached and asked if I wanted to write for Doctor Who. And I said, fantastic opportunity, but I have just done a bunch of work for other people, and I'm really in a position right now where I want to do something that's my own. And they said, well, we have this other idea. And you never know when an idea is going to take root and sprout like crazy. And I, again, I think my job is to just take it and run with it wherever it comes from and then not be a snob and I they said their they said their premise and I said I know exactly how I would do that mm-hmm. and I told them my philosophy of YA about agency and point of view and who makes the decisions and who drives the story and I said and I know how it would end and I know who the characters would be and I know what happened in episode one it just tumbled out and so they were I think they were a little 
a little frightened by my enthusiasm, and uh, but they let me go with it. So, is there? And you had done some some stuff with them before. Only right? a Doctor Who short story. Oh, that that's was it. it. Yeah, really? It, yeah. Was there even in in approaching that short story? Was there some? You know, there, there's when you when you get to play with someone else's toys and these kind of big toys. Yeah, you have to get over that to an extent. You have to get over it, but it's it's um, the because it, I get asked that a lot. I get asked that a lot, particularly by Doctor Who fans, and I understand the worry. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely understand the worry that here's this thing we love. Are you gonna sure. sneer at it? Are you gonna um, mess it up? Are you not gonna understand it? And I really understand. I really get that. Um, and so that is implicit in the question, I, I, which I get. But I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. Right. And because, because then it would just be a terrible project. If I didn't love it, you know, there'd be nothing of me in it. It'd be purely mercenary. And that's just not how I work anymore. anymore he says. <laughs> that's just not how I work. You know, I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm in my mid-40s, and it's, I got successful late, so I know all the, I know all the crap you've got to go through. I'm not interested in doing stuff just for the paycheck, because mm-hmm. uh, well, I know it's going to be crap. So I, you know, I have no wish to um, break anything. Sure. You know, I, but, but that's also not, there's, 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 there's no fear there. It's about, I can't wait to engage. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the exciting thing, to look at this world through my little corner and, and see it through a different set of eyes, the eyes of these young, the teenage characters. That's exciting. And how can I, again, it's the, it's the how can I, follow all of your rules and the things you expect and still tell my story mm-hmm. um, but it's a it's a really it's an enthusiastic engagement I'm not looking to spite anything or anyone oh, I'm just I'm just I want to but I want to I, I want to find a way to tell this this really exciting story in this universe and how fun is that and so I get asked a lot like do you, are you going to use um, are we going to bring like any Doctor Who monsters and I just think <laughs> I say I say if you had the chance <laughs> to make up new Doctor Who monsters wouldn't you run with it Oh God, yeah. So yeah, every oh, this is a good way to finish. Um, but uh, I, you know, I grew up um, um, quite poor. All I ever wanted to do was hold a book in my hand. That's it, uh, and that happened. And everything else has felt like some giddy birthday party that's about to be cancelled at any minute. And so I genuinely tend to think, even now when I write books, I think, well, this will probably be the last one. They probably won't <laughs> give me another chance. And that, I find, is a really liberating feeling because if they're only going to give me do it once, I can really go for it. And, uh, and that, has, that has turned out well for the books. And so I thought, you know what? They may never give me another shot at a, at a TV show. I hope so. I hope we're getting season two. <laughs> touch wood. But um, why not go for it? You sh- always, always, always shoot the moon. You might not hit the moon, but you might hit something really interesting on the way. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's my biggest advice. Always go treat everything like it's the last time and go for it. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, Monster Calls is out end of December. Yep. Uh, people should check it out. Class is out now. In the UK and uh, in BBC America in the spring. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Even better. Uh, and before we wrap up, I'll, I'll ask what I ask of everyone at the great. end. What are you reading these days? What are you watching these days? What's getting you excited to watch TV or read or see movies? You're doing all of it, so you get to weigh uh, yeah, in I mean, on I'm, all of it. I, I, when, I work, when I've been working so hard on stuff, I tend to go back to comfort telly. Um, what is that for you? So, well, it's like uh, you know, Netflix has all these fantastic shows on it. So I will watch, I've been watching Bojack Horseman, which I think is really hilarious, mm-hmm. but then I'll go back and watch Voyager or something, <laughs> which, you know, which I know empirically is maybe not the greatest show ever, but I just, I do feel, I feel, feel really attached to it. 
Uh, and I'm reading, I'm always, always reading. I just finished a book by Chris Adrian, who I think is just the most amazing novelist. Um, I don't know who that is. What he is, wrote The Children's the Hospital, The Great Night. This one is okay. called The New World. It's, uh, it's ostensibly about a husband dying and getting his head cut off and being frozen, and his wife trying to get regain custody of the head. And it is that funny, but he does the thing I love, which is he makes, uh, it takes it seriously. And, you, and it's just great, great writing. Terrific. And I just started a new Paul Murray novel called The Mark and the Void. He's an Irish writer, very, very funny, very smart. So, yeah, just uh, try not to be snob. Try to enjoy everything. Yeah. If it's not for you, move on to the next thing. Absolutely. Patrick, thanks so much for talking. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 